Welcome to the Meat and Potatoes podcast. Today we are joined virtually by Rohit Sethi, who is the CEO of Security Compass. How are you, Rohit? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, Canada. Where are you guys at in Canada? We're based in Toronto. And is it winter yet? <laughs> well, it's not warm, but uh, you know, there's no snow on the ground right now. There was. It's melted, so we're kind of in this in-between fall and winter sort of time. Uh, it's getting colder. Oh, very cool. All right, so as far as the, you know, uh, Canadian cities go, Toronto's kind of the epicenter for uh, tech and startups. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say it's you know one of the epicenters. There's a big banking kind of community here, so similar to say like you know, our version of New York, if you will, in the sense that it's the financial center. And so there's a lot of tech companies that emerge serving those financial services companies. But you also have places like Vancouver that, you know, have a pretty big a tech contingent as well, being on the West Coast and not too far from Silicon Valley. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a few in, in Canada, I'd say, but Toronto is certainly one of the biggest. Yeah, very cool. And um, hockey, you guys have a really exciting team. Uh, is that something you guys in, you, you enjoy? I personally am not a big hockey fan. I, I'm more into basketball, which uh, yeah, actually they have a pretty big following over here, the, the Raptors. Yeah. Yeah, I went to a Raptors jazz game a few years ago, and uh, it's like the, one of the biggest teams I've ever seen. Just they were all gigantic. I know basketball players are big, but these are, they look like football basketball player hybrids. And they whooped them. Um, okay, let's start with, um, for those that aren't in the know, um, what is Security Compass and what do you guys do? Oh, so Security Compass is a software company. We help our customers build security in by design. So we help people who build software, make sure that software is secure, theoretically, before they write any code uh, and certainly through the process of writing code. And in that way, we're a little unique than most companies. So if you think about Cybersecurity, it's a really big market. There's a, a lot of players. Uh, generally, what happens is a lot of the emphasis is people looking for attacks, uh, looking to respond to those attacks, looking to remediate security issues that they've discovered. There's a subset of that market that's what we call software or application security. So it's really about the, the products that people build, the software developers, and making sure it's secure. And even there, what most people do is they focus on when you write code, testing to see if there are security defects. But we're kind of before all of that. So we're about the software development teams knowing what they need to do to build secure and compliant codes, the specific requirements they need, uh, what we call developer-centric threat modeling. So a process to make them uh, create or help them secure, create secure applications so that by the time it gets to this sort of testing piece, they don't have security issues, essentially doing it by design as opposed to after the fact. Yeah, so um, measure twice, cut once kind of methodology there. All right, so um, probably saves a lot of, of time, heartburn, lawsuits. Is that correct? Absolutely. The, uh, you know, there, there's lots of benefits to taking this approach. And I mean, you could think of parallels in all kinds of industries, right? So 
cybersecurity is evolving. It's a relatively new field compared to many other fields. And, then, and you think about other fields, you think, for example, automotive safety, right? Um, you know, people used to have cars, there were no seatbelts, there were no, uh, you, you know, no ABS, no, no, a whole bunch of safety features that you kind of take for granted. And um, over time, they started to integrate more and more in and the people who designed the cars, you know, designed this, the safety features. And this is true for airplanes. This is true for houses. This is true for all kinds of physical things. Uh, but it's not that true in, in the software world. Uh, people are, are building software, but a lot of them don't know that much about security. And so what tends to happen is they build it, then they test for security issues after the fact. And then it's a matter of, well, is it worth fixing or not? Right. Uh, and if it is worth fixing, you know, some of it's really easy to fix, some of it's really hard to fix. So you you kind of, if you think about all the products that people build, the software products, and then they ship those software products off to other companies, that becomes part of their infrastructure. And that company has a bunch of software products that weren't built with security in mind. Maybe there was some security bolted on afterwards. And it kind of gives rise to the cybersecurity problems we have today. Somebody finds a vulnerability, a security defect in that particular issue, and then, um, it becomes open. You have to wait till the person who, the, the, the company that built that software gives you a patch, right? A, a way to, to fix it. Uh, and then you have to, you have to apply that patch to all of your systems before an attacker can go and break in. And, and that's what I, when I say, you know, sort of the whole cybersecurity ecosystem kind of revolves around this, this idea that there's, you know, not the only way in, but a very common way in is having vulnerable systems that people break into. And now you have to sort of mitigate the impact of that, of that particular breach. So that's an expensive way to, to operate. And as people are, you know, the, the industry is maturing, there's more and more understanding that that software supply chain needs to be more secure. It's, it, you know, to, to make the entire industry more secure. And that you have to go what they call shift left. You have to go earlier in the software development process to uh, effectively build in the right controls like we've seen in all these other industries. So it's, it's happening and it's, you know, it's cheaper. It's, um, it's, it's more scalable. It's safer, fewer lawsuits, but more importantly, fewer, you know, breaches of a real customer data, few real impacts when, you know, you're integrating security by, by design. Uh, that's, that's the, the sort of the ev evolution that we're a part of right now. Interesting. Um, let me ask this question in the form of kind of an example. We had a, an event here a few weeks ago where we had, um, folks from Hill Air Force Base where the F-35 and all sorts of other weapon systems are, um, just north of Salt Lake, 30 miles. Um, so these are like the DOD civilian contractors that are involved in building these, both the hardware and software. And we opened it up for questions in the end and, there was obviously some technical questions with folks building software for, you know, let's just call it the DOD. There's all sorts of subcategories. And they started using acronyms, of course. Um, so we decided to take that one offline. But their gripe was that the turnaround time is very, very long. And the answer was, well, we're checking for security vulnerabilities with what I believe was the end goal of like being able to do it in weeks or days instead of months so that all of the talent needed for this weapon system could be um, implemented a lot sooner. Um, so in that example, the DOD 
was the one that came up with the security requirements. Um, and then the software developers needed to, to follow those. So with security compasses there, is that ultimately an end goal to like speed it up and make it more real time? Absolutely. That is, that is an entirely the end goal. So there's a number of ways people can do what you just talked about. Uh, the most common way is there's a big document somewhere. It's 300 pages and it specifies all the security requirements that you could possibly have in a, in a system. Um, but they're written in a way that's general, right? So say, for example, you, you mentioned the DOD. In the United States federal government, you have this concept of uh, FISMA, and, and essentially it's a, it's a law that says that federal government systems have to comply with a really big document called NIST 853. It has a several hundred page document that has all kinds of controls. These are the things you need to do to protect against potential security issues. And it's not just software, it's, it's everything, uh, facilities, people, et cetera. So what, you know, what is expected to happen and this is what they call the authority to operate process in, in the federal government, right, in the DOD, is that uh, every time you release software, somebody's supposed to go through those four to 500 pages of documentation, and they're supposed to pull out the ones that are relevant to that particular system, right? And then they're supposed to talk about, and, and again, they're written in a very general way that they could apply to any system anywhere, right? You're supposed to contextualize that and say, if the system I'm writing, this is how I'd interpret this particular control around, you know, people logging in authentication. Uh, and this is how we're going to implement it. And this is the audit evidence that shows how we've implemented it. That process takes months. So it can take a year to 18 months in some cases for people to ship software once. What we have done, so for example, with some of our federal customers is help to pioneer what they call the continuous authority to operate process, which allows them to ship software every two weeks, because what they're doing is as they're building software, they're using our product to pull out the very specific requirements that are relevant to that just that particular um, piece that they're working on. And it's contextualized, it's relevant to their particular technology stack. It's telling them what's already implemented, what, they, what work they have to do. It goes into the tools that developers use to manage their workloads and and it, and it explains how to test and, and assess whether or not those security controls have been met. So, you know, you're going from a 12 to 18 month process to, to being able to ship software every two weeks. And it's a great kind of story, I think, of, of the success of using this approach. Yeah, absolutely. And so obviously, like people could relate to government and, and weapon systems, but you've got uh, financial services. Nobody likes to get hacked and whether it's individuals or big corporations, um, obviously like, you know, tech firms. Um, how do you guys go about, you know, deciding what markets uh, to pursue, how aggressively, and, you know, kind of just dividing up the resources? Because it's a problem that everyone faces, right? Cybersecurity. For sure. I, you know, cybersecurity is a problem, you know, everybody faces. I think you start thinking about the various domains of cybersecurity, and we're in this software security world, right? So we're, we're typically focused on the organizations that build software themselves, as opposed to ones that just buy software. And, you know, that might be the software vendors, but it's also things like you mentioned, financial services companies, uh, increasingly what we'll call digital products. So for example, industrial control systems providers, uh, building supply vendors, uh, air conditioning vendors, right? All of these companies 
are, are part of the internet of things, but they have a, you know, they have to wrap security into those things that they ship off to their customers. And there's real big implications if it's not secure. So, you know, they're, they're a big customer base of ours. Um, you know, other heavily regulated industries like healthcare and medical devices, you know, insurance, along with some of the other financial services, uh, as you know, mentioned the government for sure. Um, and so th- those are sort of what we'll say are the, the core places or verticals that, that we focus on. But, you know, it's still very early days, I think, for this idea of security by design, uh, generally speaking, as much as it seems conceptually simple that you ought to build security and by design, it's just not how most people do it. And, and, and a lot of companies just think of security as a cost center. And I, I understand why, rightly so, right? Like they, they want to focus on growing their revenue. They want to focus on delighting their customers and investing into security you know, it doesn't directly result in those things. It's more, uh, you know, mitigating risk that could happen in the future. And, and often the work that people sign up for from a security perspective, you know, they look for some kind of minimum standard that they can align to, to say, this is what I have to do to satisfy, you know, my security obligations. So that if there is a breach, for example, I can go back and say, hey, these are, I, I followed, you know, industry standard best practices. That is very different depending on the industry. So if you're a large bank, you have a range of auditors coming at you, demanding all kinds of you know, things about the way you build software, your IT environment. And so they have very, very rigorous demands. And they typically have hundreds, if not thousands of people working on cybersecurity in every area, including software security. However, what's very interesting is like you know, software companies. If you think about an average startup or mid-sized software company, they're not regulated for the most part, right? Now they may have customers that are regulated and the customers might ask about cybersecurity. So that's usually the impetus for them to say, I got to invest a little bit in cybersecurity. And then they start to look at, well, what is it that my customers are asking for from a cybersecurity perspective? The industry standard so far has been a couple of specific, I'll say designations. Uh, One of them is the ISO 2701, uh, standard. And then another is what we call a SOC 2 audit, uh, SOC 2 type 1 and SOC 2 type 2 audits. Now, I'm not going to go into the details of what those things are specifically, but generally speaking, they're um, a set of controls the company shows, company can use to show that they have what we'll call enterprise security. So the company itself or the organization itself is secure. We you know, have protections against phishing. We have protections against malware. We have protections in our network to, to see if somebody's trying to attack us and these sorts of things, right? But they don't really go into depth on how secure the software product itself is. So it's really interesting. If you, if you went to pretty much any small to mid-size software vendor and you went to their website and you looked at what do they do from a security perspective and they have something public, it probably says something like, you know, we, we comply with ISO, ISO 2701 or, or SOC 2, which means the company itself has invested in security, but they haven't had a lot of a rigorous audit, at least, on the way that they build software. And we just think that's a little backwards, right? I mean, not to say that enterprise security doesn't matter. Of course it does, right? They, they, these things are all related. But you can't also uh, ignore the how secure the product itself is. And so the, we, uh, you know, we think there's a change coming here. Part of that change has come from the US federal government. So 
uh, there was a widespread acknowledgement of this after some of the really big public um, you know, security breaches and, and incidents. So for example, the solar winds breach that happened a few years ago, uh, the pipe, pipeline attack, you know, uh, I think in 2021, um, that gave rise to an executive order uh, from, from the president on software supply chain security. They recognize this as being sort of a core issue the way I, I've been talking about it. And they set into motion um, a number of actions that would ultimately result in uh, you know, a, a regulation that anybody who sells software to the US federal government by the end of next, I believe, September, September 2023, has to have uh, complied with a software security standard. And that is the first time that's ever happened at that scale. And we believe that that's just a wind of change that we're going to start to see. So that, that software security standard is the NIST cybersecurity, or sorry, the NIST software security development framework. And we believe that more and more organizations are going to start to be scrutinized against the standard, which they probably won't pass to begin with because it's a lot more rigorous than what they've been used to. And that's where you're going to start to see, I think, more uh, adoption of things like security by design, security requirements, security education, where those things were maybe nice to have for these companies before because the customers weren't demanding it. You know, we, we believe that that change is happening right now. Yeah. So when that executive order came out, it was probably music to your ears. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's certainly, it's good for, you know, us as a business, but I think it's more important, like, we, we are really mission aligned, right? So for us, you know, we talk about a world where, where you can trust technology and we can get into that afterwards. But uh, ultimately what we want to do is help customers build software quickly, but do so in a secure way. And right now we see those two things as kind of at odds for most people. And if even if we don't exist, this problem exists, right? And if nobody's focused on solving this problem, it's just going to get worse and worse. We're going to continue to build software that's not secure. And we're going to spend so much money, right, as a, as a you know, population trying to solve for this problem that could have been, you know, mitigated for a lot less if we, if we simply followed some, you know, secure practices to begin with. And so I think this change, yes, it's good for us, but it's really good for everybody, right? It's, it's, it's forcing security to be more of a first-class citizen in the software development process where that's been a nice to have for a really long time. Yeah. So if there's a, a FinTech startup that starts in uh, August of, of 23, um, that will look different from like a building of the software perspective than a FinTech startup that started in 2012. Is that a correct assumption as they build it out? I would say... For fintech specifically, if they're not selling to the directly to the U.S. federal government, they may still not have that degree of rigor. It would come down to who their customers are. So if they're talking to, let's say, B to C, they're they're directed at uh, consumers. Odds are consumers aren't asking about how secure your software development process is, right? So they could probably, you know, get away with the same level of security investment and same kinds of activities they had in 2012. As long as you know they're not doing egregious things like they're they're patching their servers and these sorts of things, right? Um, but let's say that you're selling pick pick something that the you know federal government might use, so um, task management software or something like this, right? Which 
probably never had much security scrutiny to begin with, right? If you, you identify that the US federal government is a potential user and, and a big buyer potentially, right, of your product, you uh, now, now that startup has to invest in security in a way that it wouldn't have two, three years ago, for sure. Yeah. yeah. But if they're bullish on their, their business and their team and, and the market, it's probably worth it because at some point, you know, you're going to have to get really compliant and get really squared away, correct? Yeah, like the, my argument to any of these companies, right, whether or not your customers are asking for it today, they will at some point. And I mean, the cost savings of taking this approach. See, you're spending a bit of an investment in terms of um, sl slightly slowing down the process up front. You're, you're, you're thinking about security where you didn't think about it before, you know, and there's some tools support and there's some people, you know, that you're going to need certain skills and expertise. So there's some upfront investment in taking an approach that's security by design. But, you know, we, we see regularly like a 90% reduction in security vulnerabilities when people adopt this philosophy. We see them taking processes that they do manually today, which might take 40 hours down to one hour, right? We see uh, companies, you know, one example we just looked at where a company had 65 security officers and then they took this approach and they went down to needing 25 and they covered even more um, of, their, of their portfolio and, and of software products with fewer people, right? So like there's all kinds of ROI benefits of taking the approach, but it, but it does require an investment upfront. And that's often hard for people to, to justify doing because they think of security as a cost center. Yeah. Give us a quick uh, example overview, if you could, of, you know, we hop off this podcast and somebody calls and says, we're in, we're going to be a customer. Um, how does your team interact with their team in a broad overview? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the first thing is we want to, we want to understand why, what is it? What is the problem you're trying to solve? How important is it for you? What do you already have in place? So to get the kind of results that I'm talking about, you know, where you, you, you're really getting significant savings, there's usually a bit of a culture cultural shift that needs to happen. Right. So first of all, people need to understand security. They need to understand, you know, do we have a software security problem at all? And generally speaking, you know, I'm, and I used to teach software developers about security and the way it would work is you start the class and almost everybody thinks that they already know about security and this is going to be a waste of their time. And, and by the end of the class, they've realized there's a whole bunch of things they didn't real, didn't know they know, didn't, you know, they, they didn't realize they didn't know. And, uh, yeah. and, and now they see that it's a much bigger problem, right? So you, you kind of got to start there. And so we, we help people typically um, in that case, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll consult and understand where do you stand today? What have you done? What have you not done? And if they're sort of in the early phases, jumping into kind of security by design might be, might be too much because there's too much cultural change and, and these sorts of things that have to happen. So we might start with uh, some e-learning, teaching people about basic security concepts. And then you know, we might move them along into something like taking some of those e-learning experts or I should say uh, software developers who have taken their basic e-learning and, 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 and amping up their knowledge a little bit more. So they get more expertise about how you would embed security throughout the software development process. And then you're the kind of primed at the pump for um, taking this bigger step, which is integrating security in by design and pushing it out to, you know, sort of like the entire development work. But it really starts with understanding where they are from a maturity perspective and, and, and you know, making sure that they can walk bef or crawl before they walk before they run. 
Uh, and then we help people the whole way through. So it's not just like, here's a product, go um, use it. We're, we're, we're there with the services sort of on an ongoing basis to, to make sure that you're using things the right way and you run into challenges, for example, a different development process where you need to understand how it's going to integrate in. You know, we can, we can help our customers with that or when there's turnover and their security teams, we can help the new people come on and understand the program goals and, and how to get to sort of the promised land and make sure that, you know, we're tracking the right metrics and uh, reporting to the right people so we can, we can drive success and adoption. So we, we really look at it as a holistic solution, not just the product, but people, process, and technology to, to solve this security by design challenge. Gotcha. So you gave a couple of really good examples that uh, benefit everyone, safer cars, uh, for example. And so you guys have a, a little tagline model, a world where we can trust technology. Um, and there's a lot of people that don't, and there's a lot of people that do begrudgingly. Um, but it benefits everyone, right? Like if, if things are built properly the right way, because um, a lot of the times it's... Uh, a huge waste of time and money and, and effort. And, uh, like we mentioned lawsuits. Um, and so with that, a world where we can trust technology, like that's your end goal, right? At security compass. Um, so how do you as the CEO organize your team and resources and time to achieve that? Cause you guys kind of have to be at the cutting edge, right? Cause there's always going to be nefarious folks that are coming up with new ways and then those enter into the vernacular of normal Americans fishing malware, right? Like there was a point where nobody knew what those were and there will be a point where there's new ones. So how do you marshal your resources? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of ways to tackle this problem, right? And, and then there are a lot of people ultimately, I think we work in cybersecurity who are achieving, like working towards the same goal in some way, shape or form, right? I think. Yes, people get into security because it's a lucrative field, sure. But you know, there's other lucrative fields. I think what's what's really interesting and one of the unique value propositions of a career in cybersecurity is this idea that you're you're helping the greater public, right, in some way, shape, or form by protecting data that otherwise, you know, leads to real consequences that affect people. Um, you know, some of them are physical consequences. You know, like the, you know, the power grid going down, for example, right, or some of them are, are on systems people depend on for their lives, but others that are even more benign in, in some ways are still high impact, right? Like having your, uh, you know, effect on your credit history or, you know, having passwords stolen and personal information leak out, like all those things have real world impacts. And so the idea that you could do something to affect that is intrinsically motivating for a lot of people. Where we tend to, to really focus, as we say this, okay, that's, our, that's the end state of the world we want to get to. And there's a lot of things that you, you can do to get there, but there, you know, and I've kind of alluded to a couple of times, we think where we're going to have the biggest impact is the, the single biggest root cause, which is that there are products that we all rely on that are built with security vulnerabilities that we've known how to prevent for a decade or more, right? In many cases, but we're just not doing it. We're not doing it in a consistent way. And we think, you know, you need to help people get to the point where it's easy to do it, right? It's streamlined um, and it's not sacrificing this idea of continued business agility that people need to move faster. So everything that we do is really focused on this concept of like, how do you get security by design and how do you get, um, how do you enable the software developer 
to do so in a way that, that doesn't put them in direct conflict with the business priority of moving faster. That's where we focus. There's a lot of other areas we could look at in cybersecurity, and there's lots of other companies that are looking at those areas. But we just believe this is a very, very big root-caused core problem that very few companies are focused on solving. And we have already done you know, a lot of great work with some really marquee customers to you know, ultimately affect millions or maybe even billions of end users when you think about sort of our core customer base and that, that there's more to be done, right? Uh, so it's, it's, it's all focused in that one specific area that we think have a very big impact on a world where we can trust technology. Yeah, very interesting. So you guys have a lot of the same problems as a lot of other corporations and companies. You can kind of lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. Um, sounds like there's a little bit of like laziness involved with like, we know that uh, there's problems or issues here. We'll get to it eventually, but you guys are going to kind of nip that in the bud and at the beginning of the process, develop good habits and uh, make it easier because <laughs> if something's hard, people don't like to do it. Yeah, I, I think there's also, there's also, you know, I mentioned the cybersecurity industry is still relatively new and it's still evolving. And one of the things that, you know, we see as a, as a big pattern change is that there's, there's a, a bit of a challenge with organizational design, right? So let's say you're a small, a fintech startup and your customers are starting to ask more about security. You know, you have to start to take it more seriously. So you hire a security leader, a chief information and security officer. Now that person's got a big set of responsibilities. They, and then they have to go affect a change in the way lots of other people do their jobs, usually without the direct authority to make them change. So for example, people who work on networks, right? The, 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 the network, or whether it's cloud-based infrastructure or you know, your own proprietary infrastructure, um, you've got to help them to make sure that they're doing it in a secure way. You have to make sure the people who administer systems are doing it in a secure way. You have to make sure that when you're hiring people, you're you're thinking about you know uh, the right things you need to do to make sure that those people are less likely to, to to be fraudulent actors. A whole bunch of things, right? Usually, uh, when when you start a job like that, there are some things that are screaming red, right? For example we have systems that are exposed to the internet that have known vulnerabilities in them that we have not yet corrected. We haven't patched them. So that's a screaming red issue. You've got to jump at it. Another one, you know, we alluded to is phishing, right? So you have people getting, you know, doctored emails, clicking on links and exposing the company as a result of w whatever the consequence, whether it's malware or they go and enter some, you know, some sensitive uh, username and password. And, and so because there's all these things that a security pro needs to really think about, especially the head of security, they tend to be very focused on the ones that are the most red, the most on fire right now, right? And what, you know, where we, we've kind of focused is this idea of security by design, right? So we're, we're, talk, we're talking about a vitamin, right? Where, where a lot of security pros are really focused on a, on a painkiller. Uh, and and you know, they're very much trying to fight fires before they can start to think about doing things, you know, more proactive. If you think though of a CTO or a CIO who builds software, like they, they actually have this ping today, right? So if they're the ones who are responsible for software development, they build software. And then usually at, you know, at bare minimum, these companies will do something like an annual penetration test. And so they'll, they'll discover a set of security vulnerabilities that they have to go back and fix. Everything is on fire. Stop what you're doing, go fix these security issues. 
some of them might be easy to fix. Some of them might be really hard to fix, but it puts a monkey wrench in your, um, in your, you know, roadmap, right. And, and the commitments and priorities of the software development team. So they can have this problem right now where if they could understand how to make sure it's secure when they build it and they don't have this downstream impact of, uh, unplanned work, right. Which is, which is sort of the, the, the biggest problem, uh, you know, a lot of software development companies are trying to get over and they're using DevOps methodologies and all that to, to, to reduce the unplanned work, but this issue still exists. So theoretically they're the ones, you know, who should be jumping on this problem. But what often happens is as soon as you say the word security, they think, well, that's the security person's responsibility. I can't touch it. Right. I'm not allowed to touch it. It's not my area of responsibility. But the security person is not really focused on the software development side. So one of the things that we see evolving right now is this concept of product security. So some companies have what we call the chief product security officer position. And it's usually tied into the chief information security officer position, but it is very much focused on product security. And so they have a bent towards revenue, meaning they're trying to make sure that the product you're building is secure so that um, you have a competitive differentiator, right? Like we have integrated more security into the way we build things than our competitors have. Therefore, you should choose us over our competitors. Like it's one of the differentiation points. As that, I think that that field starts to mature. It's, it, it, you know, I think it's better aligned with the CTO and the CIO, and it's not lower priority than some of the on fire things that are happening from the CISO's office. I think, you know, that's also a, a big change that we're starting to see happen. Very interesting. Uh, yeah, for those that aren't, you know, in the industry or in any of those roles, um, that's pretty insightful that even in a company, there's two different paths, right? And uh, my guess is that uh, folks that have been burnt uh, before are pretty good evangelists going into the future. 100%. I mean, like I said, a lot of people don't know what they don't know, right? So they think, uh, you know, I've, I've done some basic things I have the security I need. And it's usually there's one of two reasons that they change their mind. One reason is because of an audit, right? So somebody comes in and looks at your security posture and flags that there are issues. And depending on what kind of company you are, the depth of that audit will, will differ. So like I said, a bank will be quite rigorous in most cases, whereas maybe a software company, there'll be a little bit of coverage of software security, but maybe not that much. But certainly an incident, like a breach, changes everything, right? It's, it's, you know, that can't ever happen again. And what do we have to do? We'll spend anything, right? Cause that's a, you're starting getting, getting into to, to really big potential liability, right? Like bring the company down kind of liability. And so usually at that point, the board of directors are interested in what you're doing from a cybersecurity perspective. There, there usually are not spending limits in the same way there is at the rest of the organization when it comes to like, what are we going to do next after, uh, after a, a breach? So that certainly has a big impact on, fast forwarding cybersecurity programs that otherwise would maybe struggle to get the, the budget they need. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, very cool. Last question here. Uh, we could go for a while on this. It's, it's pretty interesting. Um, what are you uh, most excited about for uh, security compass over the next uh, 12 to 18 months? What do you guys got cooking? Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot, I, I think, um, some of the stuff I can't talk about just yet because we're sort of still uh, we're still finalizing the the go to market strategy. But let's just say we are certainly excited about some of the changes that are happening in the product line to make things even easier for our customers and um, 
and make it more valuable. Generally speaking, though, I think I, I'm excited by the the shift we're seeing in industry. You know, more and more people understanding kind of the security by design. Um, I'm excited to see more and more of the kind of what I mentioned, the software developers and 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 that sort of line of of the company taking more ownership of cybersecurity and not just leaving it to sort of an overstretched small team of security experts. Because I think that's the change we need to to really um, you know scale uh, kind of software by software security you know by design and throughout the entire process. So I'm excited by that. For us, um, we're you know we're launching with a with a more formal channel strategy. So we're going to have a lot more uh, partners working with us to extend uh, both our reach but the capabilities uh, so that we can really. You know, help customers deeply in the way that they they build uh, software. So, if anybody's listening to this and they're and they're um, you know a consulting company that is helping people with software security, you know, get in touch. We'd love to to, to talk about how you know we we can partner with you over the the next twelve to eighteen months. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think suffice to say, you and your team will not be bored anytime. Uh, there's a lot of people on planet Earth. A lot of them are using technology and rely on it. And I think the cat and mouse game will be uh, very fun to watch and hopefully the good guys come out on top every time so thank you so much Roy. learned a lot really appreciate you taking the time to, to join us all the way from toronto best of luck to you, you and your team really appreciate it thank you so much garrett appreciate it 